Oh Lord our God, what a blessing it is that by faith in Jesus we can call you Abba Father. What confidence we have to say with the hymn writer that my name is written on his hand. Oh God, we can only have confidence of the forgiveness of our sins and of being adopted into your family in the shed blood of Christ. Oh Father, now we are going to open up your word. We are going to consider the heart of our Lord Jesus with sympathy for the suffering, his love for sinners. We pray that you may give us grace to enter into the feelings of Christ our even his love and pity for the lost, for the condemned. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, let us turn back to Luke chapter 19, verses 41 to 44. Now Jesus drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Our Lord Jesus commands his disciples to love our enemies. And our Lord Himself certainly loved His enemies. As our Lord Jesus went up to Jerusalem, He knew Jerusalem would reject Him and murder Him. Jerusalem would kill the very Son of God, the Lord of glory. And the Lord Jesus, with his prophetic foresight, could see the horrendous judgment that would fall upon the holy city. Now some of us are familiar with AD 70, but others of you may not be so familiar with this horrendous event. Some 40 years after our Lord Jesus' death and resurrection, Jerusalem and its magnificent temple will be raised to the ground. Countless thousands of people will be slaughtered within the holy city. 
it was such a horrendous event that would lead to the dispersal of the Jews until 1948, the establishment of the modern state of Israel. The first temple built by Solomon was way to the ground by the Babylonians in BC, or I should say 586 BC, but some 70 years later, the Jews returned from the exile, and then later on, they rebuilt the temple. But the second temple, was built after the exile to Babylon, was wasted down in AD 70. Never to be rebuilt until this day. And then the Jews were dispersed to the end of the world, not for 70 years, but for something like 1900 years. When the Jews returned to Palestine and established the modern state of Israel, it was not believing Israel. It was unbelieving Israel. The modern state of Israel was and still is not the believers of the Lord Christ. Our Lord Jesus is very much in mind of that terrible event in the uh, Gospels. You can look at Mark 13, Matthew 24, and Luke 19. Prophecies about the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, some of you might have seen the Western Wall uh, in Jerusalem. That was what is left of the temple, the second temple, until this day. You may have seen those huge uh, stone blocks. Uh, two levels of the stone blocks would be much taller than our uh, average person's height. A most magnificent temple. And then in God's providence, we have the record of Josephus, who was not a Christian. Uh, underline that Josephus was not a Christian, he was a Pharisee, and at first he was the commander of uh, the Jewish force, forces against Rome, but later on he uh, turned around, submitted to Rome, and after all these events he was taken uh, to Rome as a, a free person. He was given a pension, lived in Rome, uh, given money, and he wrote an eyewitness account of the fall of Jerusalem called Jewish Wars. And that book is still available. Uh, I believe almost in every Christian bookshop it will be strange if uh, any Christian bookshop does not have uh, uh, the books of Josephus, especially uh, his Jewish War. Now, we come to our text. We are told in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, as Jesus drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. 
。Let me remind you the context. It was on Palm Sunday. It was on the day when our Lord Jesus rode on a donkey, going up to Jerusalem. Our Lord Jesus entered triumphantly into the holy city on that day, and Jesus organized his glorious entrance into Jerusalem. He he organized that. Now this must be the only time that our Lord Jesus purposely organized public acclaim. And it is so to fulfil the prophecy in Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine. Easy to remember, isn't it? Zechariah nine nine. There it says, "Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey." That is the prophecy, and Jesus brings the disciples to brought to him、uh, two donkeys, a mother donkey and a baby donkey, and he rode on the baby donkey, and he said to Jerusalem, "Remember, Zechariah nine, I am the King, I am the Messiah. Now I'm coming up to you with my salvation." And his disciples were so excited. Many of them followed him from Galilee all the way to Jerusalem. Some of them would be、uh, the local people, and they were so happy. This is Jesus. This is the Messiah. This is our King. So they were wild with excitement. We are told in Luke chapter 19, verse 37, as、uh, the whole crowd drew near to Jerusalem,、uh, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with loud voice, and they were saying, "Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory." In the highest. Now is the time. Now Messiah is here. Now the day of the Lord is to come. This wild excitement of the crowd. In the midst of all this, our Lord Jesus wept audibly. What a contrast! Hundreds and thousands of people were rejoicing, praising God, clapping them, waving their palm branches. Branches.、Uh, they had put down their garments as a red carpet to welcome the Messiah. And there we have the Lord Jesus burst into songs. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. You may recall in John 11, Jesus burst into tears for a friend, Nazareth. He burst into tears for a dead friend, for the grieving sisters, 
for the people who will cry and weep. And now the Lord Jesus bursts into sobs for the holy city, for the lost opportunity. Oh, if you people should know, this is your day of visitation. This is the day that you can welcome the sound of God. This is the day to welcome the Savior of the world. But you city, you people here, you are going to miss this opportunity. And soon, with his prophetic foresight, he could see some 40 years down the track, the woman will be surrounding the holy city, Jerusalem. The people inside will be starving. They will be arguing with each other. And then they will be fighting so bravely, but irrationally against the Romans. And our Lord Jesus could see old men being slaughtered, young men killed in battle, women killed, children dashed to the ground, the holy city burnt up, and the Romans were so angry with the Jews that they literally demolished that huge temple, those hills, stone blocks. We wonder, how did the Jews build this temple? How, how could they move these huge stone blocks? And then the Romans, in their wrath, should take them down. Undoubtedly, it has to be one by one, isn't it? That massive energy because of the wrath of Rome. Jesus saw this in advance, in prophetic foresight and insight, and he burst into sorrows. Just a bit of word studies. Jesus wept in John 11. The word wept is different to Jesus cried here in Luke. The word here uh, emphasized the noise. Jesus did not just burst into tears. He was audibly sobbing, crying for Jerusalem, so that even the crowd could hear his crying for Jerusalem, for Jerusalem's suffering and judgment in the near future, 40 years. What do you think, my dear friends? 40 years are not a long time. For some of you younger ones may think, well, 40 years, that's unthinkably long, isn't it? You're 20 something. You can't imagine you'll be 60 something. Uh, but for some of us, well, 40 years really is not a long time. Jesus burst into songs for Jerusalem. Holy King. My dear friends, how many of us 
how many believers in Sydney that we can go to see our beautiful city. Magnificent city. Blue sky, clean air, clean water, and bursting the songs for the unbelief and rebellion against God by Sydney Science. A friend of mine who was missionary to the Jews here in Sydney, he said, in the time of depression, with the letter of success, evangelizing the Jews, he would like to go to Sydney Harbor. He came from England. And uh, he said he would go to the opera house, and watch the harbor sign, and he got uh, refreshment. But friends, when we do look at Sydney City, look beyond its beautiful face, look beneath his unbelieving heart, even not that, the, the sins and the rebellion of Sydney City, it's just so obvious, isn't it? It stares in the face. Who among us are able to burst into songs for sin? Well, let us consider the enormity of the sin of Jerusalem. You know what Jerusalem stands for in the Bible? The holy city. Sion. The city of God. Representing the church of God. The chosen city. David fought for it. Solomon built the temple. The joy of all the earth, so to say. The assembly of God's people. This is Jerusalem, with its high and holy corner. And yet how deep Jerusalem responds to the messengers of God. Jerusalem rejected the prophet. Remember Jeremiah? Jeremiah was a, a Jerusalem prophet. And the people rejected him. People called him a traitor. A turncoat. People said Jeremiah was telling lies when he told them about the judgment of God. Jerusalem rejected the prophet. And within a week of this thing of our Lord Jesus in our text, Jerusalem would kill the Son of God. But earlier on, we are told in Luke chapter 13, if you want a reference, Luke chapter 13, verses 33 to 40, uh, 34. Jesus was journeying from Galilee to Jerusalem. And this is what he says. Nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow, and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to you, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hand gathers a brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. And some of us appreciate what Jesus is saying here, isn't it? If you are developing farming community, a hand gathering a chase under her wings. Well, this is what I've been doing to you. But you are not willing. Your house is left to you desolate. As our Lord Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem, he not only realized he was to suffer there, but he also knew that the city was going to suffer tremendously because of their rejection of him. And now, as he was making his way up the city, he cried for Jerusalem. And during the past, the Passion Week, a few days later, our Lord Jesus would again lament for Jerusalem. In Matthew 23, verse 34. Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assured that I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. How awful! Only a few days before our Lord Jesus suffering and death, he said, on this generation and in Jerusalem, all the righteous parts shed from Abel to the last prophet in the Old Testament shall be accounted for. There's a lot of sin. Because of that, Jerusalem would suffer like that. And then the same lament as our Lord Jesus after before, as we call it in Luke, was it 13? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophet and stones those who are sent to you, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hand gathered her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. And then you remember, on Good Friday morning, even on the way to Calvary, our Lord Jesus carried his cross, but he was too weak to carry the cross by himself, he was helped by uh, Simon. And uh, the women of Jerusalem, tender-hearted women, they saw the Lord Jesus suffering like that. They were weeping for him. 
And our Lord Jesus, weak as he was, turned around and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but for yourself and for your children. For if they do this thing in the green tree, what shall be done in the tree? What a pathetic thing. I say the Lord Jesus was staying over his body by blood, weakened tremendously, making his way slowly to Calvary Hill. And women were weeping for him, and he could have said, Well, I deserve those sympathies. But no, he was not thinking of his own suffering, his own pains. He was thinking of these women and their children. And their children's children, do not weep for me. Weep for yourself because of the things that will be done to you. They are doing this in a winch way. I do not deserve these sufferings at all. But you people and your children and your children's children, they deserve it. You deserve it. The judgment that is to fall upon you will be horrendous. And there will be no return. Our Lord Jesus cried for his enemies. He burst into sobs for Jerusalem. That reminds us of Jeremiah the prophet. You remember Jeremiah? It's a long book to read, it's 55 chapters, the longest book in the Bible. And uh, Jeremiah is called a weeping prophet. And Jeremiah says things like this, Oh, that my head were waters, and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slaying of the daughter of my people. Let my eyes flow with tears night and day, and let them not cease. The tears of our Lord Jesus Christ flow from his heart of love. Well, friends, perhaps the one thing we lack in our time is this sort of tears. Dr. Lloyd-Jones said it again and again about the church in his time. The trouble of the church is that the church is too healthy. Not inside the city, but in the land. The church does not know that it is so sick. The church thinks it is so strong, so healthy. We've got all the resources and the power. Well, we dare say, because of the failure of the church, the society is like this. We do recall God's love for the world. We all know John 3.16 is For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. What's the world then? The world made by God? The world made for Christ? Christ came to his world made by him? The world rejected him and so often uh, in John's Gospel especially, the world stands for this whole uh, worldly system that stands against God. The emphasis in John 3.16 is not so much how big the world is, but how bad it is. God so loved this bad world that he sent his son to save. And yet, when the Son of God came to this world, the world hates him. You see, my dear friends, the hostility of man against the Son of God. God the Son came in human flesh. The Lord Jesus lived a perfect life, a life of love and righteousness and kindness. What did the world do to him? They put a thorn of crowns on his head. They bruised his head. They spat in his face. They slapped him in the face. They beat him up. They mocked him. They pierced his hands and feet. They disrobed him. They insulted him to the uttermost. That is the hatred of the world against the Son of God. The world would not allow a single part of the body of our Lord Jesus Christ not to be humiliated. That is the human hatred of the Son of God. And the world is still the same. And yet God in His kindness bears with this world. Remember what our Lord Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 to 45. I say that you love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and send wings on the just and on the unjust. We call this the common grace of God. In distinction to his saving grace, out of God's loving heart flows mercy for this rebellious world. God gives this world sunshine and rain. Last night, thousands of people defiled the God of heaven openly. I guess most of them today are jolly happy and healthy. They'll be drinking their beer, swearing, 
challenging heaven. What's that? That's the common grace of God. That's the kindness of God, His patience. And the Bible tells us clearly, God has no pleasure in the destruction of sinners. Listen to what God says in Ezekiel, chapter 18, for example, verses 28 and 32. Again, it's easy to remember. Ezekiel chapter 18, 2, 3, and 3, 2. Important text. God says, Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and leave? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and leave. The same truth. Ezekiel 33. The Lord God says, As I live, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and leave. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? And Peter says in the second letter, chapter 3, verse 9, concerning the second coming, why the delay of the coming of the Lord in judgment? The Lord is not snared concerning his promise, as some kind slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, this is the love of God. His patience with the rebellious will, His common grace to give rain and sunshine and so on. And God has no pleasure in the destruction of sinners. God, in a sense, we can even say God is unwilling to condemn the wicked. He takes no joy, no delight in the condemnation of the wicked. But the mystery is this. The Almighty God has not chosen to save every single human being. That's a mystery, isn't it? God has not chosen to do so. God has not chosen to save the whole world. Not missing any single human beings. God has chosen to save his people out of every tribe and tongue and nations and people. But God has not chosen to save all tribes, all tongues, all nations and all peoples. Every one of them. Without exception. God chose his people out of every tribe and tongue and nation and formed them into a new humanity. The world at last will be saved. But many will be condemned because of their sins. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. There will be an eternal hell. How do weapons are both? Jesus wept for Jerusalem. And yet, the Lord God 
hath determined to destroy Jerusalem in his holy judgment. It's both. The tears of our Lord Jesus were real tears. They will pity for his enemies. Yet, those who rejected him were to be judged. We can't reconcile both truth. The light is too bright for us. As the Puritans like to say, judgment is the strange work of God. It's still the work of God. God will still do that. But He has no delight in doing that. God's delight is to save sinners. He delays judgment. But judgment will come. And dear friends, we are sure that God is perfectly consistent with Himself. His perfect justice his unspeakable mercy. And tonight, dear friends, we are saved by the perfect justice and the unspeakable mercy of God. We cannot be saved except God's perfect justice is done on Calvary Hill. That is wrath and punishment was poured on Christ our Lord. Judgment was meted out on Christ our King and Head. And mercy was shown. Heaven justice and heaven mercy matched together and kissed each other on Calvary. So we sum up. The Lord is good. He just is patient with his rebellious work. God loves sinners. Jesus' tears are real tears. And my dear friend, we have to appreciate the love of Christ for sinners more. Oh, I think we really need to, to appreciate Christ cried for sinners. And we are to love sinners. Even the most outrageous and rebellious of them. And frankly, sometimes it's very difficult to love sinners. Maybe it's easier to love a sinner who is nice to us, polite and respectful. It's very difficult to love sinners who are so outrageous, so openly, blatantly, rebellious, leading people astray. It's hard, isn't it, to love them? We say with David, you are not hate those who hate you. Or we say that. At the same time, we are the tears of our Lord Jesus. I've met with missionaries to the Jews, and I think some of them did show their frustration with the unbelief of the Jews. 
They were saying things like this, you know, no one hates the Lord Jesus more than the Jews. Muslims at least respect Jesus. But some of these Jewish people, they can be so irritating to our patients. Well, it's not just unbelieving Jews, but all kinds of sinners, rebels against the Lord. But before we finish, let us just look briefly at the subsequent history of Jerusalem. So we notice already Jesus lamented for Jerusalem on the way to Jerusalem when he was going up to the to Mount Zion, so to say. He lamented for Jerusalem uh, during the Passion Week. He asked the women of Jerusalem to wait for themselves. What happened afterwards to Jerusalem? You may recall, some 50 days after the Lord's death, campaigns. On that one single day, 3,000 Jews in Jerusalem were saved. That's God's saving grace. John Bunnell got a book called Jerusalem Sinners Saved. You have heard of that? Uh, I think it's a very encouraging. I've not read that book, but uh, now I understand what he's talking about. Jerusalem Sinners Saved. The worst sinners have to be the Jerusalem sinners who kill the Lord of Glory. Don't you think so? And even Jerusalem sinners can be saved. This is the gospel. Even Jerusalem sinners can be saved. And then, out of these people and other people were added, the church in Jerusalem became the mother church of the whole Christian church. The Jerusalem church is the mother church of the whole Christian church. Out of Jerusalem, the gospel was sounded forth. That's why we must love the Jews. We owe to them the Holy Scriptures. Our Lord Jesus was a Jew. Paul was a Jew. All the apostles were Jews. But friends, some 40 years later, Most of the Jews still persisted in unbelief. And it was a long story. Somehow, I think it's beginning in the year 62, 63, just uh, things happened in God's providence, and the Jews got really more and more agitated with the Romans and uh, conflicts happened and the Jewish people en masse decided to rebel against whom? That led to the Jewish war. It was foolish. It was irrational. But they fought against Rome bravely, amazingly, violently. They did not believe Jesus' prophecy about the destruction of the city. 
They incur the wrath of Rome. Uh, the Roman general Titus eventually surrounded the holy city. They still won't surrender. They fought so bravely and on one incident, almost Titus got killed. No battle, anything can happen. And the Jews just fought to their last man, so to say. It was so terrible inside the city. Parents, even mothers, killed their own children and ate their babies. Can you imagine that? Mothers killed their children, ate their babies. That's part of the covenant curse. Moses prophesied in Deuteronomy. They try the patience of God. They persisted in unbelief. Let us learn this lesson. The patience of God is meant for our, for our salvation. But if anyone should persist in unbelief, there's the certainty of the judgment of God. The tears of Jesus are real tears. But there's also the wrath of the Lamb. Both are true. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God, help us not just to believe in your patience, but also to believe in your judgment. Increase our faith, that by faith we may tell our friends and loved ones the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And help us to pray on for those whom we've been praying for so long a time. Oh, that we may see by faith the end of unbelief is eternal destruction. Give us grace to plead with you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.